Welcome to AMDG, and Happy New Year! I'm Eric Clayton. January 1st is a day of resolutions, promises, and commitments to form better habits, to get back into shape, maybe to pick up that old hobby. January 17th, more or less, is when all those commitments begin to fade, and we look accusingly at that new gym membership. New Year's resolutions can feel like we're set up to fail, set up for disappointment, but it doesn't have to be this way. Today's guest, Vanita Wright, is a spiritual author and spiritual director, a retreat facilitator, and the managing editor at Loyola Press in the trade books department. She's written fiction and nonfiction, and shares some insights and reflections from her life as a writer that can help us create better habits, and to look at the process of creating those habits from a place of love and self-worth, rather than frustration. Vanita is also a student and practitioner of Ignatian spirituality, So you can bet we spent a good deal of time exploring how St. Ignatius' insights can help us all as we begin this new year. Here's a hint. It has to do with contemplation and action. Please remember to subscribe to AMDG wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a nice review on iTunes. Vanita Wright, welcome to AMDG. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we're excited to talk to you and to learn about your work and, and uh, especially you know what it, what it is to be a, a, an author of spirituality and a retreat leader. Um, so why don't we start with uh, you just telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your work. How did you become a, a writer? Well, I've been writing stories since fourth grade, so it only took me 40 years to actually get published. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's just always been kind of my fallback interest and um, I was a music teacher for a few years. That was my bachelor's degree. I was in music ed, um, but had some vocal problems and health problems and realized I would not be able to do a career of that. Uh, so I got a master's degree in print journalism and ended up in publishing um, here in the Chicago area. So, um, And all that time I was writing. Um, I, I can't remember a time when I was not writing, actually. And um, and then just the nature of the, my work as an editor, I've always worked in religious publishing. Um, you know, you have to deal with spiritual topics all the time. You have to know what you're talking about. Um, and I've had a pretty robust faith since childhood. I just, you know, I grew up in that kind of a home. Uh, so, and you write what you think about and you write what you know. So it just... Uh, was not surprising that I would end up writing on spirituality because that's kind of my topic, you know, as an editor, that's what I'm dealing with all the time. Um, But also just as a person, you know, as part of a faith community and um, having fairly longstanding faith, it's gone through its stages, you know, it's ups and downs. But um, so, yeah, those things just sort of went together and uh, in a, in a pretty natural way, actually. So, I, I didn't. I didn't ever plan to be an editor, um, but I think I always knew I wanted to be a writer. So, um, so you know, some of it I could see ahead of time, but some of it just happened, and and I think happened well. You know, as it turns out, I, I really I feel was called to be an editor. It's uh, I've been good at it. I've enjoyed it, and so even though I never would have seen myself as an editor, it's been a very good career for me, and also a vocation in that sense. Can can you talk a little bit about? You mentioned your faith life. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, your writing has 
given you uh, insight into your faith life or, or how that faith life and, and your writing life kind of uh, intersect and, 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 you know, become one, become different things and, and grow? Well, that's a great question, and I'm happy to answer it. Uh, actually, a book I wrote a number of years ago uh, is called The Soul Tells a Story uh, with InterVarsity Press, and uh, you can still get it. It's print-on-demand. It's been out for quite a while. Uh, and that book was all – and that was based on the retreat work I'd done and the work I'd done as an editor with writers and the work I'd done as a writer. And so that book was all about how uh, – uh, spirituality and creativity really uh, go together, how they inform each other, and how it's all part of the same the same thing. I mean, it's, it's all sort of intertwined within the person. Um, as far as how the writing has informed my spirituality, um, I not only write uh, nonfiction, but I've written three novels. It's been a while since I published a new one, but um, and I'm always writing fiction. Um, and I think especially in the fiction writing, I had to learn that um, I had to learn to trust the process, hmm. um, had to learn to trust the creative process. And that meant I had to accept the fact that I was never going to control this. You know, you don't control a creative process. Even if you're working hard at your writing craft, the process is not something you're in control of. It's something that you go with. It's something that you interact with, participate with. So that, uh, I think, really helped me understand, you know, my life as a story, uh, a process that I can willingly participate in, but not a process that I'm going to control. I can't make sure certain things happen or turn out a certain way. In the same way, I can't do that. Even with characters, if I think I know the character well, uh, eventually that character in fiction is going to do something that I hadn't really expected. And, um, and I can either fight that and say, no, I want you to be this kind of person, or I can go with it. And uh, when, you, when you try to control creative work, whether it's editing someone else's work or writing your own work, uh, when you try to control it, then the creativity really gets kind of... Uh, um, that, that whole process gets kind of short-circuited because you're, you're trying to Im impose your, your ego, really. You're imposing mm -hmm. your own ideas and ego on something that is meant to be very dynamic and meant to be something that you're invited to be part of but not be in charge of. And so this whole idea of, um, you know, well, my life is the same way. You know, I trust this overall process of grace and growth that God has had me in for decades now. Um, and um, I'm invited to participate in my life of faith every day in prayer in paying attention in in uh, reaching out to other people and compassion and, and kindness and justice and truth. You know, all of those things I'm invited to be a participant to essentially cooperate with God in, in what is already going on. Um, but I'm not meant to figure it all out. I'm not meant to have all the answers. And I'm certainly not meant to make sure everything works the way it's supposed to, because that's just simply not in my power, and it was never meant to be. Uh, so learning to work with a creative process as a writer, I think has really made me, it's really helped me grow and deepen my relationship with God over the years. 
I, I love how your description of, of a creative process is, is so easily understood also as a description of a spiritual process, a spiritual journey. And I also really love um, this, this idea of you're being a part of it, but not in charge of it. And I, and I think, you know, when I, I think of the writing process, right, I, I, it's, it's such an important, you know, I, I think you often hear from writing teachers, you know, it, it sounds very rigid, you know, to show up, you have to do this, you know, this many words a day. Um, and yet the way you're describing it, it sounds very fluid and, and personal and intimate. And I wonder if you could um, share any reflections on on what was a surprising discovery that you came to um, either personally or, or professionally in, in your craft through that intimate uh, process of kind of creative discovery? Well, uh, one thing I have learned, um, and this I share with every, every writer's workshop I do, is that, you know, you you cannot control the process and you, you need to stop trying to do that. However, you must master your craft. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, I say, you know, I'm working on a novel now and, uh, and this goes for, you know, the book that I just, that we'll talk about in a minute. I'm sure the small, simple ways, it's the same, it's the same kind of process. Um, but I'm, um, so I decide, okay, I'm going to work on this book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And, you know, I, I approach it with prayer. I approach it with, you know, all the energy I have to give it. But if I have not learned how to use the parts of speech, if I have not learned how to uh, make sure my modifying clause is in the right place, you know, <laughs> if, if I have not learned how to put words together, then all the inspiration and all the you know the the wonderful fluidity of being in the process is it's it's going to frustrate me more than be a grace to me because i haven't done my part of the work and and in spirituality i think it's the same thing you know i bring my whole self or try to as much as i'm conscious of you know i bring myself uh to god and um, I trust that God has this overall, this overarching process of, of the universe. God is constantly creating us, creating the world. Uh, it's, it's never, nothing is ever static, you know, we're growing. Um, and uh, however, if I have not uh, done the basics of learning how to sit still and listen to God, if I've not, uh, practice something like meditation or, um, you know, sitting with scripture or, you know, the many kinds of spiritual practices that can do us so much good. If I've not developed any of those, and they're, frankly, they're skills, they're practices. Mm -hmm. You learn how to, you learn to get better at meditating. You learn to get better at uh, reading scripture and allowing it to talk to you. You learn to get better at paying attention to the details in your life so that God can speak to you through every single part of your life. Um, so I think it's very, you know, I, I've learned the value of, yeah, I have work to do in this life. I think maybe that's what Paul was talking about when he said, we have to, you know, you have to work out your own salvation. And he wasn't saying you have to work to get to heaven, nothing like that. But I think what he was getting at, at least what I've discovered is I practice my faith. And I mean that in a very, uh, very literal sense. I practice every day paying attention. I practice uh, working with scripture or I practice, you know, any other kind of spiritual activity. I practice greeting others 
uh, with with the thought in mind that you are a beloved uh, creation of God. You know, those are practices, and I don't just suddenly get good at them. I, you know, there's that work that I do. Um, so I think that you know the whole idea of you're part of the process. You don't control it, but what you do is you 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 get involved with practices that help you engage with that process. You know, I engage with writing through the practices of knowing how to put words together. Um, and I engage with it, with my life in God uh, through the various spiritual practices over time. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's such a poignant moment to be thinking about this as we shift into a new year and uh, people, you know, everyone's making their new year's resolutions and, and it's, uh, I think we so often have the end in mind, you know, and in, in this, you know, our, our discussion of writing, right. The book in mind, and we, and we skip those, you know, those little habits we have to form, those little things we have to learn. And, and, and I think that's a key thing to think about as, as, you know, we think about our new year's resolutions and as we think about our, um, uh, you know, our, our, our goals, our lofty goals, what are those little habits and those little, um, practices that, that we need to commit to each and every day. I, I wonder, I, you know, I'm struck by, uh, you know, you, you've, you've talked about you know, being a writer and, and, and your own spiritual journey. You're, you're also, right. Your, your, your day job is, is an editor, uh, and, and you have ample experience as a retreat facilitator, as a workshop leader. And, and those are kind of, um, you know, you're, you're accompanying people through self-discovery, then you're playing a different role in the process. And I wonder if you could reflect on, on what is it like to, 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 to be both, to kind of play both roles, you know, or, or to know what it is to play both roles. How do they inform one another? How, how do you go about that work? Well, uh, I'll speak to this in a couple of ways. Uh, first of all, as an editor, I believe I'm a good editor, and part of the reason for that is that I've been on the other side of the table. I know what it feels like to be an author and to be edited by someone else. And so I can I can really bring a, a range of experience to this. Um, and I, you know, I understand what kind of anxieties an author has while, you know, while she's turned over her baby to someone else to work on. <laughs> um, and at the same time, as a writer, um, I know what it means to have a good editor help you do your best work. And so those two roles really uh, complement each other for me. Um, and, you know, I've been editing for almost 30 years, and I've never felt that I, you know, I've never um, felt a desire to, to over-edit another person, you know, like mm. get my ego too involved in their work, uh, partly because I know, well, I have my own writing. I do. I don't need to live through anyone else's writing. I don't need to impose myself on someone else's writing. Um, and so that has really freed me to say, you know, I'm here to serve this work and to serve you. And I just want to make what you have said here as clear and compelling as possible. And I want to help you grow as a writer. And uh, in the religion world, often you will work with an author more than one time. You know, uh, certain publishers will have, you know, three or four authors that do multiple books with them. And that's especially, um, that's really satisfying to work with someone like over four or five books and see them grow as a writer as you do it. So I feel that I really, um, I feel that I'm called to accompany people. I mean, it's it's no surprise that at this sixth decade of my life, um, 
I, I'm being called into becoming a spiritual director mm. and um, finishing up some coursework and some practicum for that right now. Uh, and it's very much the same kind of dynamic, you know, um, being free uh, in my own gifts of writing and so forth, but being free then to sit uh, with another person, whether it's with their manuscript or with them in the room, um, and not have to control it. Again, I'm not here to control this process. And as an editor, I don't control the process. You know, I work with what the author has done. I try to enhance it. I bring up questions. I try to strengthen their understanding of how they're writing this. Uh, but I never feel it's, you know, it's not my job to write this book. And it's very freeing. And it also enables me to be a very freeing presence to the person that I'm accompanying because they realize, oh, she's not trying to impose her sense of words on me. She's really, she really loves my words for what they are, uh, which is the same thing you do when you're sitting with a person's spiritual direction. You know, I'm not calling the shots here. I'm just here to listen and to be with you and for us to, you know, listen to God together. Uh, so that's always been, it, it's, I, I don't feel that one is opposed to the other, you know, the, these, these roles are not in opposition at all, at least not for me. They've always been very complimentary. It makes a lot of sense. And I really, it really struck me when you mentioned, you know, the idea of the ego entering in or not entering in. And, um, it, I, you know, you're, you're describing uh, this a beautiful spiritual practice and, and this kind of uh, tapestry of, of, of writing and, and, and spiritual direction. But it strikes me that editing is, is happens all the time, right? We, we edit one another's emails, we edit one another's, um, you know, you know, uh, everything. And, but, but, but I, I think the same spiritual practice seems very relevant to me and 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 the 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 ego being the thing to consider seems um uh right on i i wonder any tips or tricks for really recognizing when our ego is entering into the conversation and not our our desire to accompany huh that's a good question i i think um i think the ego kind of drives you to I think that when the ego is at work, there's always this feeling of striving and you're kind of up against the wall and it's it's kind of coercive. I guess that's it. Mm. The, the ego can be rather coercive. And we know that God is never coercive. Jesus was not coercive. You know, it was always an invitation. Uh, it's always open arms, always, you know, come to me, come to me, follow me. But it's never, I'm going to manipulate you until you do what I want you to do, you know. And so I guess that when I, and again, I think it has to do with if I if I feel that I'm striving to exert too much control in a situation, then I figure, yeah, my ego is getting in here somewhere. It's it's getting out of its role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love it. Um, you used the word vocation earlier to describe this work. And I wonder if you might um, uh, share a little bit more on how you define vocation and, and why you think um, uh, writing, editing, uh, retreat, you know, retreat leading, all of this work uh, is vocation. Um, you know, there are so many definitions of vocation. There are, you know, vocations as in being called to religious life and, and vocation to marriage and, you know, the, sort of the big, the capital V vocations. Right. Um, I I tend not to think of it in, in those terms as much as uh, what are my gifts? 
and what gives me joy because our, mm -hmm. our gifts are always very closely related to what gives us joy. You know, God is a merciful, loving God would not give me a gift that didn't give me joy. You know, it's just, it doesn't make sense. We're, we're gifted to do what we will learn, what we will really love to do and what others will love for us to do. So, um, I think that your vocation is, uh, it's where your gifts really kind of, um, arise in a way that helps you participate with what God is doing in the world. And God is busy in so many ways. Uh, I happen to be involved in, in God's publishing <laughs> industry, in, in God's communication world. You know, there's so many ways to communicate, whether it's writing or, you know, leading retreats, whatever. Uh, and, I, you know, this has all really grown very naturally for me. And and I don't know if it does, I don't know if it's so natural for other people for all people I know that some people struggle sometimes uh, admitting yeah that this is my vocation I'm I'm not I can't speak for other people but I do think that vocation has a lot to do with the gifts and by gifts I'm using that broadly it could be spiritual gifts it could be natural talents it could be the gifts of your background, the gifts of what you've gone through so far in your life. You know, a person who has, I mean, the typical example, the person who has found sobriety after years of being addicted, um, you know, part of that person's vocation may very well be helping others out of addiction, you know, and it's mm -hmm. because of their situation. So gifts are not always things that you're born with. The, the, you have the gift of your history, the gift of your experiences. Uh, the gift of the situations that have shaped you. Um, so I just, and I tell people all the time, you know, if you want to know what your gifts are, follow the joy. What is, what is giving you joy in your life? What do you just, when you're doing it, you get lost in time. You don't even know that time has passed. What really satisfies something deep within you? And often that's connected to what God is calling us to do. And I'm not saying that God doesn't call us to do difficult things that may not feel comfortable or natural. You know, that happens too. But overall, I do believe that, uh, that God has designed us as human beings who uh, we have a variety of gifts for a variety of purposes. And, and when we discover, you know, how those gifts uh, are involved in what God is doing, then I think that's the vocation. And, and you can have multiple vocations and... You know, you, I have I've had a vocation of being an editor for years. You know, I don't I don't think I'm going to be editing for another 20 years. I think I'll be doing more spiritual direction then. And so vocations are not always eternal. Mm. I don't think um, it really depends on, you know, who you are and 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 what God is calling you to at this point in your life. I wonder, um, as we kind of is you recognize those things that give you joy and the things that you're good at and thinking about writing in particular. Um, again, I think it's so easy to focus on, uh, you know, my, my gift in writing uh, must result in a book or must result in, uh, you know, speech writing career or whatever it is. Um, but sometimes it might just be journaling or, or it might just be a way of expression. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, writing as that kind of spiritual practice of discovery and, 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 you know, what writers have, have you encountered that have had different, um, you know, vocational paths or, or expressions of that, uh, skill of, of writing? How, how do you, how do, how do people make sense of that? And, and then, and then, you know, put it, you know, forward mm -hmm. for the greater glory of God. Yeah. 
Well, one thing that's happened with writing, at least in in the culture here in the U.S., we we have become such a celebrity culture. Mm. It's like you 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 don't really you're not really worth much. And this happens in the religious culture too, not just in the secular one. But unless you're famous, you know, it, it's all about being known, all about being recognized. And and we've had a celebrity celebrity culture around writers and actors and you know people in the arts, and what that has done. Well, the music industry as well. Um, you know, there two or three generations ago, everybody sang. You know, everybody mm. played instruments and in family gatherings. People would gather around a piano, they'd sing, because they didn't feel like they had to be good at singing. They just sang, and. I feel that kind of the same thing has happened with writing. People feel that, well, unless I'm going to become a really good writer, I just shouldn't even write. And that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Writing is simply another way that we express ourselves. It's a way that we process what has happened to us. It's a way we process. It's Sometimes it's the way we pray. It's mm. just something that we do. And yet we treat it like, you know, if I can't be a professional level, level writer, then why write at all? Uh, and so we've kind of come to the place where we have with music. You know, if I can't, you know, uh, make it on America's Got Talent, then then I just shouldn't even sing. So we have we've really been uh, uh, misshaped by the way we look at gifts and celebrity. Um I tell people, don't even worry about, am I a writer or not? If you want to write, just write. It's it's just something that you can do. It's it's something that's given to us. It's a way that we can communicate. Uh, and write what you want to write, and don't worry about it. And if you're meant to write something for other people, if you're meant to be published, I mean, that will develop as you write. And that will become clear in good time. But if you're trying to decide, well, if, if I'm a writer, then that means I need to be published. So I need to figure out how to get published. You know, you're just jumping over all of these steps in a very long process to try to get to something that you think you should have. Uh, and it just doesn't help anything. You need to write because you want to write or that you've learned that writing helps you. Uh, if you write to pray, that's good. If you write to journal, that's fine. If you like to write funny stories and, and read them at the holiday dinner, that's fine. I remember, <laughs> I remember writing a little humorous piece years ago. It never saw the light of day in publishing, but it, my family loved it. It was about my grandma and how, how she was with food on the holidays, you know. And, and um, so, you know, you write because you want to write. You don't write for any other reason. And if God is going to call you to write for a purpose, then God will make that clear in time. Uh, but again, I think sometimes we, we're wanting to make things happen a certain way. And then that just gets in the way of the process itself, which can be so enriching and so satisfying. Um, and and I just I tell people, don't worry about, am I a writer? Am, am I not a writer? It's not even the right question. It's, it's not the right question. It's do I want to write or do I enjoy writing or does writing help me? Those are the questions they ask, not am I a writer? That's just, I, that's not a question that's even meaningful, I don't think. 
And, you know, interesting. I, I think that's that's a really helpful way to look at it. And it it brings up that idea of ego again. I I feel like, um, you know, am I letting my ego, my sense of of who I think I am or who I think I should be, dictate if I'm going to express myself in this way? Yeah, yeah. And well, yeah. and you know, what we're talking about is spiritual freedom, which of course mm. is just all over Ignatian spirituality, and it's one of the things I love about. Uh, the way St. Ignatius put things is that, you know, you're always, you know, my goal now is is always toward this spiritual freedom. And spiritual freedom means that you're not pushed somewhere by your ego or by, you know, some outside source or anything like that. Um, and I think with writing or with vocation, it all has to happen in the context of spiritual freedom. Let's let's talk a little more about that, especially as we as we look to a new year, right? Your mm -hmm. uh, your your latest book, right? Small simple ways. Mm -hmm. It looks at Ignatian spirituality as a tool for really understanding the graces of each day, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what have you learned from Ignatian spirituality that has most helped you to encounter God each day, and and how might people be able to to form those habits or those disciplines that that will allow them to do something similar as they embark on this new mm -hmm. year this new opportunity to form habits this time of renewal mm. well first of all when i uh, became acquainted with ignatian spirituality years ago when i first came to work at loyola press I really didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about St. Ignatius, and uh, but it was part of my job, so I thought, well, I need to know all this. Uh, but as I began to dig into Ignatian spirituality, uh, as I would edit books that, that referred to the spiritual exercises and all of that, I began to discover that some of the principles that he was, you know, or that this spirituality emphasizes, I had been discovering in my writing process, but I had other names for them, mm. you know, um, just like, you know, the spiritual freedom is, is sort of like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm free to follow where the creative process goes and uh, paying attention. You know, I think that's a huge, uh, just a huge uh, moment in, in anyone's life when they realize that, you know, most of prayer, most of my spirituality is simply paying attention. It's paying attention to what's going on inside me it's paying attention to what life is like for other people. It's paying attention to where God's voice and face and hands and feet appear today. Uh, that whole aspect of paying attention, I mean, that's at the heart of, cre of creative work as a writer. You just, you're always, always learning to pay attention. And so when I realized, you know, I've kind of already been discovering some of this, but this is fascinating. I didn't realize that there was, uh, you know, so much a whole spiritual uh, structure uh, or system, you know, that addresses a lot of these things. So the uh, the paying attention is a big one. Uh, I think one thing that has helped more uh, than a lot of things for me is this practice of reflection. Um, not only do I pray, but then I reflect on, okay, so what happened during that prayer? How, how did I feel myself responding? Mm. Or the idea of, you know, the daily examine, which I'm not real faithful to, but it's still a fallback for me. You know, uh, you get to the end of the day, you look back over the day and right. you kind of say, OK, well, so what what was happening? Where where did grace come to me? When, when did I see God at work and what was going on in me? Or when I had that conversation that seemed to go so wrong, what was happening? How how was I feeling? Was I 
What was I responding to? Um, and and allow all of that to be just this prayerful conversation with God. Um, that is very, um, well, it's just really liberating to know that, you know, you can go through an ordinary day and all of these things can happen. You know, you can see God in another person or you can feel God's care in something that happens. Um, and and you can also begin to recognize something in yourself that maybe you hadn't seen before. Oh, oh, I kind of always go to this emotion when I'm in this kind of situation. It's like this defense mechanism thing. Lord, what is that all about? Uh, is there a reason that I get fearful in this kind of situation? Uh, show me what's happening. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you just have this ongoing conversation with God. Uh, and and what it does is that you you can deal with things as they happen rather than just kind of stuff them away and try to ignore what's not feeling right or what's not going right until you finally like go on a retreat six months later and then it all comes crashing on you because you haven't been <laughs> you haven't been dealing with it <laughs> on a daily basis and and so I think often we get used to you know we just kind of put off things until we have more time to pray. And then when we finally do pray, there's all this stuff we got to deal with. You know, it's just it can be overwhelming because we haven't been processing it. You know, it's no wonder people are a wreck on, on retreat because they just, you know, uh, so the, the daily so, conversation. So you're saying letting things fester isn't the best way to deal with them? No, <laughs> no. I mean, sometimes it feels like a safe place, but it, it really isn't. So let's see the, the reflection, uh, the paying attention and. Um, and you know the the idea that um, one of the things I really appreciate about uh, the spirituality of Saint Ignatius, and of course I realize this, this is throughout various strands of Christianity, but we haven't always lived up to it real well. And that is that God created us, um, and we are still God's creation, and mm -hmm. we are still created in God's image, and so. You know, the, the, the story of me doesn't begin at the fall. It doesn't begin with sin. It begins with being created in God's image. And that just, uh, that goes a long way toward helping a person not always feel that they're living in guilt and shame or, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some sin I need to confess now so that you'll talk to me, God. Uh, it's just, you know, you, you can just get on this whole other footing with God and, and realize, yeah, we both know what my tendency is here, and I know that you're working with me, Holy Spirit, as I figure out what triggers my anger over here. You know, that's a that's a much more that's a much healthier way to go through a day, or a month, or a whole year than constantly feeling like, oh man, what did I screw up now? And I think <laughs> that I think that many of us grow up with this idea that God is just kind of waiting for us to realize what screw ups we are. And, and God is really waiting for us to understand how deeply we're loved. And you're much freer to change when you're loved than when you feel like all this shame and guilt are, you know, being pushed at you. Uh, so the, the overall positive, I, and, and I don't, I know that the people who, who listen to this probably understand Ignatian spirituality enough to know that it does take sin very seriously. You know, the whole first, the whole first week of the spiritual exercises is all about that. 
And so, uh, but it also helps me see sin in its many forms. It's not just something I do today because I'm in a bad mood. It's something that the entire system of my country has done to certain groups of people or, you know, it's this mm. systemic sin. Um, and and so I'm I'm freer now to, to recognize sin in all its different forms and recognize it and be able to begin to work against it and, and to ask forgiveness when I need to. But it's from this point of understanding that no matter what, no matter what, I am deeply loved already, and yes. that's not going to change. And, you know, that's spiritual freedom, is, is being able to live from that standpoint. As, as I'm listening to your reflections, I'm, I'm struck, when we, when we start at that place of, I am, you know, created by God, right, created in love by, by a God that is love, and then, and then thinking about this, you know, that, that gift of 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 writing or music or any sort of creative mm -hmm. expression, filmmaking. Uh, I, I, it seems to me, and I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts, but that, that then the thing that I create, you know, uh, seems to have such a direct connection back to God, that, that, mm -hmm. that creative, that creative expression of, of writing, whether it's just for me personally or, or mm -hmm. for, for the world um, really has that direct thread back to the God that is, that is love that, that creates all. Mm -hmm. How does that reposition um, or, or position the, just the vocation of, of writing or any sort of creative, you know, musician or, you know, videographer, photographer. Um, what, what does that say about that work then and, 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 our, and our roles? Well, first of all, um, people who know that, that God loves and that all people are created in God's image, um, they have the power to see life honestly and to tell the truth because no matter how grim the truth is that you need to tell, it's always held in that larger, that eternal truth of God's love. Hmm. And so people of faith who are in the arts should be the least afraid to tell the truth about what's happening in the world. Uh, we should be the least afraid to make films that are disturbing because they tell the truth about what's happening here or there. Um, and in a way, I think uh, the more faith-filled you are, the more free you are to tell the truth, which ironically will often get you in trouble with other mm -hmm. people of faith who are not that comfortable with it yet, you know. Uh, so, in a sense, you know, uh, sometimes you become a prophetic voice, and I do think that many people of faith, whether they're uh, painters or musicians or writers, oh, I just saw, um, I was on Facebook, there's a, uh, an artwork, oh, the, the name is Lee Craker, oh, I'm so sorry, I should have the name right here. Uh, someone painted a um, the, this beautiful, I think it's probably watercolor, and it's the Holy Family, and uh, the woman and the man um, are on one side of this wall, and they have mm -hmm. the halo, so you know it's Mary and Joseph, and on the other side of this wall is this tiny baby down yeah. on the ground, wow. leaning against the wall, also with the halo. You know, that's, that's art that has been stimulated by a faith worldview and it's prophetic art 
it's heartbreaking. You look at it and you think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, and so that's one part of it. Another part of it is I think people of faith are always going to have this undercurrent of hope, you know, because we do believe in the resurrection and the redemption and that, that God has a plan for all things, you know, eventually to, to come under Christ. And, and uh, so I, it's hard for me to, um, well, I, I'm not going to judge anyone else's work because that's not my job. But I think that a person of the Christian faith, uh, there should always be some element of hope in um, in whatever work they're doing. You know, if you're if you're writing a novel and there's a, a person in the novel who is always the who's the one who's kind of the nemesis, uh, who's causing trouble, who's doing damage, and all of that. Um, I'm not going to paint that person as just a bad person because there's no such thing as just a bad person. We're all very complex and, uh, and God loves us all no matter how damaged we are. And so as a novelist, I'm not going to paint people as good or bad because people that are generally good have bad habits and they, they do things that, that are damaging. And people who we might think of as bad or criminal or, or whatever, uh, they have these graces in their lives as well. So, uh, so there's always this element of hope um, in, in the life of a, in the, in the work of a, a faith-filled artist. There's always that element of truth. Um, and there's also the element of, I'm not sure how this is, how this is going, you know, I'm not going to try to control this story too much. Um, and uh, artists are surprising themselves all the time. You know, a painter will say, I had no idea that was going to end up there. Um, but it did and they, and they let it happen. Um, so I don't know if this answers your question, but I think the, the hope and the, um, and the truth are very predominant. Uh, when people bring their faith, their spirituality into the work they do as artists. I, I love that. And I, I love um, the idea of not creating a character, a villain who is, a, you know, 100% evil. And, and again, that just, it reminds me again of, of that idea that, you know, God, a God that creates, um, did not create, you know, people that are 100% evil, right? We, again, yeah. we, we, you know, good people have bad tendencies, um, and and I and again that, that that that's the instinct of the artist to to represent that that it's not yeah. just a um, you know Darth Vader was redeemed right in the end. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, last last question. Um, uh, talking about hope, and we're talking about uh, a new year. What what is your greatest hope for for our world as we enter a new year? What is what is your greatest hope for um, us as a people of faith? Uh, as we as we grapple with a, a new year of, of joy and challenge? I would pray that the people of God uh, would live out compassion in an almost aggressive way. I mean, I think we we cannot answer hate with hate as much as, you know, I only can watch the news maybe twice a week. I get so angry and then I start hating people and then I start saying bad words. And so, you know, there, I, I have to know how much I can take in of what's happening in the world. Um, and we've learned over and over again that it does not help to try to just out hate other people or outsmart them even. Uh, 
Christians, I think especially in the United States, must learn that the number one rule is love. Mm. And we must live that out. And, um, and that's really hard to do in some cases, especially when you just wish people would stop it. So, but in order to live out that love, we have to, you know what I would wish for the people listening to this um, is that they will take the time every day or most days in 2020 and sit still for five minutes and allow God's loving gaze to rest on them. Just do that five minutes a day. Say, God, I'm here for you to love me. I'm not going to say a word. Uh, because until we really have integrated this whole truth of I am loved, I am completely loved already, uh, we don't, we, we're not going to have the love to extend to other people. So, you know, and it's a very simple thing. Like, you know, I've got this whole book of small, simple ways. Um, you know, you got like 366 other suggestions for what to do in a day's time. And this is one of the, this is one of the simplest ones, but it can also be difficult because we may not want to feel like just sitting still. We may want to get up and do something, or we may feel that, well, God's gaze can't really rest on me because I probably have something I need to confess, or I'm really in a bad mood right now, or I'm so tired, or um, I don't even know that I want to follow Jesus today. I just don't think I'm up for it. You know, we, we let all of these things get into our heads. And um, so it's it's not a it's a small thing. It is a simple thing, but it's not always an easy thing to sit with God's love and only God's love and allow that love to shape us and work on us, allow it to soak into our hearts and minds. So I think that's the only thing we can do, you know, and, and that will lead us to other things, you know, in that fellowship and that deep friendship with God. Then out of that, we're led to take action and sometimes take a lot of action and sometimes take very difficult action, especially in a world that's so uh, that's so hurting. But it's got to start with with us in that space, whether, you know, alone and also in community. You know, you don't do this all on your own. Uh, you, you show up at church or wherever it is that you you do your communal uh, worship or spirituality. You show up. You're part of a community. You listen to other people in that community. You pray with other people in that community. Uh, and, and then you have that time alone when you say, just gaze at me, Lord. Just let, me, just let your love change who I am. Beautiful. I, I think uh, that's a, a good challenge for each of us as we embark on a new year to be contemplative as an action prophets, mm-hmm. prophets in community. Yeah. And I, uh, I want to thank you for your beautiful reflections and for, for spending oh, some thank time you. today and uh, happy new year. Happy 2020. Yeah. yeah. To you too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks Benita. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Jordan-Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at Jesuit News. Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, 
and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Music